Hello to all my Norwegian hippies. It's beautiful shorties. 30 minutes, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Shorties. This is, of course, our half-hour calls. These relate very much to the TV show we made, Beautiful Anonymous. We made four episodes through topic. I like them. I think they came out really well. And you're going to hear these half-hour calls. They really move, but I I think they still really capture the spirit of the show. And if you're interested in watching those episodes, they're all up. You can go to topic.com. And if you use the code BEAUTIFULANOM, you get a 30-month trial for free. And all four episodes are up there. So now you can just go watch them for that 30-day free trial and then hopefully we get to do more down the line and there's a lot of other great programming on there might make you stick around who knows what i do know is that this call is one that wasn't made into a tv episode that we we recorded as part of that uh that week that project and i'm so psyched we get to put it out on the podcast feed one thing i found over and over again with our show is that sometimes i get to talk to people who are older and I always relish that chance because I find that for some reason there's this societal instinct to, to not ask older people about their experience, whether it's their current experience, their past experience. And it is one of the major things I've learned through this show is that very often when you slice through that, you learn a lot, you hear about how things have evolved, how things have changed. You hear stories from people where you forget, yeah, everybody was young and went through wild times and made mistakes, but bounced back and it's so joyous and and today's caller it's really simple 72 years old has lived a lot of life some twists and turns i'll say no more except that i hope you enjoy it thank you for calling beautiful anonymous a beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host hello hi hi is this uh chris this is chris Hi, Chris. I feel like I know you. Of course, I don't, but I've listened to so many of your shows. Well, that's really nice of you. So I think you probably know me a little bit then on some faraway level. That's true. How are you? How am I? I'm good. It's a real nice day here, and uh, I'm having fun. I'm having fun talking to you, so I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful day here, too. Um, and I just got a new countertop and sink put in my kitchen, which makes me very happy. Nice. And uh, I'm looking out the window. Everything's blooming and growing, and life is pretty good. That would other than the pandemic, of course. Yeah, other than the world being a complete dumpster fire for the past five months. That's 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 right. That's right. Yeah. But you know, I'm a total introvert. Mm-hmm. So. My life hasn't changed that much. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm 72 years old, so I, I consider myself to be in the high risk. So I've been really extra careful. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I have, have, only, have only been three places where I need a mask, and two of those were at the chiropractor's office. All right. So the things I miss are hiking. I used to hike seven to ten miles at a time, and I don't do that or haven't done that for a while. And I miss um, lunches with friends and 
kids, but um, I never get lonely, and I'm pretty good at entertaining myself. Well, that's a good thing to be able to say. That's uh, it is, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I'm glad that you're holding up okay, because I know uh, my parents are. My mom's in her seventies. I'm not. I think my dad's coming up on seventy, and I know they're very scared right now because they uh, consider themselves high risk as well. Yeah, you know, my point of reference is Anne Frank, and she not only had to be quiet for many hours a day, but she was sequestered severely in comparison to what we're putting up with. So, right, but isn't that life is all about? Isn't that a telling? Isn't that a telling sign of how? Grim this year has been that you can honestly say my point of reference is Anne Frank and like I get it like I get what you mean before you even explain it that tells you that the world is pretty harsh right now. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So what uh what would you like to talk about today? You know um I'm seventy two and I'm retired which is perfect. I I really love the retired life. But I've been thinking a lot about my life and sort of reviewing my life. And uh, that's a pretty heavy-duty thing to be thinking about. But I think it's pretty valid. And uh, especially in this day and age, um, I don't think we're, well, maybe we're more introspective now, but I don't know that we've been self-reflective enough in general. Um, so that's sort of been on my mind for, I would say the last year or so. Wow. And, uh, it's pretty interesting. I have lived what I call a very rich and varied life. I don't have many complaints. I have been through a lot, but, um, I've been living in geographical differences and demographic differences and sociological differences. And so I have a good smattering of life. Let's put it that way. I love that you called. I love this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Because you know what? I I feel like, and I I wonder if you would agree or disagree with me, but I kind of get the sense that as people get older, maybe, maybe the people who kind of not retired, still live in that fast-paced life, kind of sort of push our elders off to the side a little too often. And there's so many stories, so much experience, so much wisdom to be gleaned. And I think we're, at least in the States, we're so fast-paced all the time that we just kind of don't look to that wisdom and we don't look to explore it. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but I'm, I'm really excited to hear you let me know what you've done and what you've learned over 70 years. You know, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And I think back on my past and how unappreciative I was of people who were elderly. I, although, to be honest, I don't consider myself elderly. Um, and apologize. that's largely because... No, 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 that's fine. Age-wise, I am, but, you know, I'm still healthy and I'm still active, and I could do a lot of things, unlike a lot of people my age. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you know, I, I look back on my mother, and was I good enough to her, you know? Did I call her enough in the, in the final years of her life 
that sort of thing. Yeah. I think about my grandparents and exactly my, they immigrated from Ireland on my mom's side. My, my grandmother on my mom's side, there were all these crazy stories about her that I found out after she passed away. I'm like, I should have just asked her to tell me all her crazy stories. My, my grandfather on my dad's side, I know that he, he discovered a body in the woods when he was a kid. I'm like, what was that story? Now I never get to know that story. That story sounds amazing. What happened? What's that about? So what's your stories? I want to yeah. hear everything. What do you want to get on record? Well, um, let me think. You know, um, I, I had said earlier that I love the retired life. And I never expected to because I was one of those people going 120 miles an hour. I had little jobs and big jobs, and I've had a variety of work to do. Um, but when I when I stop and think about being retired, it's like, oh my God, I have time to think. It's pretty, pretty wonderful. So um, the thing I do miss in terms of work is that Work for me was, I don't know how else to put it, a kind of spiritual expression. And it was an opportunity every single day to treat people with kindness and respect and appreciation, regardless of, you know, the, the, the cafeteria woman or, um, you know, the person that I reported to or uh, employees that were uh, under my management. And uh, I miss that. I miss that on a daily basis, especially with this quarantine when we're so sequestered from everybody. So um, that's about the only thing I miss about working, though. In fact, I think about the jobs that I've had, and I think, oh, my God, how did I ever do that? I don't know. So my parents were, um, my grandparents were immigrants as well. They came from Norway. And when I was in undergraduate school, I did a little research paper on Norwegian immigrants because I've always noticed that Norwegian immigrants in this country, in my experience, were really, really different from the stereotypical Norway Norwegian, if you know what I mean. They're considered pretty liberal and progressive and, um, you know, the... Norwegian immigrants just do not have that reputation. And I happen to, like a lot of your callers, have been raised in an evangelical, back with an evangelical background. And so I think the fact that they came to this country was partially for some religious freedom. And that's what makes them different. And they, and they, different. And they brought with them all of these don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. Uh, so I kind of think that's what the difference is between the immigrants and the people who are still in Norway. Does that make sense? It does. It does. The demographics of the uh, Norwegian diaspora in America. This is the starting exactly. point. So I watched my father change over time, and he used to get up and preach let's say about adultery. He'd say it's an evil thing. You can't do it. Go to hell. But I happen to think he learned a lot from his children. And by the time we reached 
teen, teenager, adult, he was preaching, adultery hurts people's feelings. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. So I, I see that kind of growth over time. Um, I have rejected that belief system pretty entirely. Um, but most of my family still thinks that way. And they're pretty sure I'm going to help. Really? Which doesn't bother me. Yeah, because I'm not. Um, so, but it's interesting. I hate to laugh, but that's a thing. Is this something they've expressed to you? Um, in very kind of subtle ways. Um, I have I have recently just reconnected with most of my siblings because, quite frankly, they were Trumpsters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I very adamantly said, how can you possibly be for a person like this? They kind of took that personally and decided not to talk to me. Well, they're all getting older. And so we have reconnected over time and we're fine as long as we don't talk politics or religion, which is a kind of loss <laughs> to me because uh, that's all our family ever talked about was politics and religion. Well, that's like a, that's an old American cliche, right? No politics, no religion. We'll all get along great. We'll all get along great if we don't talk about those. So I have a, a Zoom call with my with three of my brothers uh, every week, and it's fine. We kind of, you know, compare stories of our childhood and uh, relate to things that we all went through that were in common, maybe weren't in common which is pretty great, but underneath the, there's an undercurrent of, but you're going to help. So I want to ask you a a sort of broad question. You mentioned that right now you and your siblings are divided. If you talk about politics, that your family thinks you're going to hell and I'm doing the math. I think you're the same age as my mom. If I'm doing the math, right. I'm very bad at math. Um, But so this means you lived through, 1968, which is such a year of upheaval. I, Kennedy I did. I was at. You were what's that? I was at. Wood, I was at Woodstock actually. You went to Woodstock. That's my claim to fame. Yes. That's awesome. I want to hear about that. <laughs> I was going to ask you: Is is this the most messed up you've seen America? But I kind of want to hear what was it like. Did you party at Woodstock? You were like throwing down you in know, the 60s, I, huh? Yeah, you know, I I bought tickets. I think they were advertised in the back of the Saturday Review, which was, you know, the rag at the time before the internet and everything. Mm-hmm. And so um, we hitchhiked out there, a friend and I, because you could hitchhike in those days. And lo and behold, there were hundreds of thousands of people there. <laughs> and so our tickets were pretty useless. To be honest with you, Chris, it was a pretty miserable, physically miserable time. Uh-huh. Lots of mud and rain and, you know, I was a hippie, but I was a clean hippie. Um, a clean but it hippie. Was pretty, pretty, <laughs> it was pretty memorable. Well, you know, back then, long hair and, and uh, you know, not taking baths was sort of the standard for a lot of people. Um, I wasn't like that because I'm Norwegian, but... <laughs> 
year. can I say? So it was, it was pretty wonderful. And, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of movies and I've searched through a lot of pictures. I can't find any pictures of me there, but I was there. That's amazing. So you've really lived. I'm on the phone with a genuine, clean Norwegian hippie. <laughs> That's right. Original generation hippie. To used to be, yeah. Now, I want to ask I've, you... Uh, oh, you go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, go ahead. Go I was going to ask you, you know, you've lived this stretch where it's like, like my mom was born right after World War II, and then the rest of the century, there was so much history packed in. Thinking about right now, when for many of us, I think this is the most stressful we've ever felt about this country. What's the most stressed out stretch of this country in your lifetime? And what's the stretch that you look at as sort of the most golden age that you got to live through? Does that make sense? Yes. Um, um, you know, 1968, and I was pretty politically aware 1968 just had you constantly reeling with the death and, uh, you know, um, protests and everything going on. And I recently read an article, I can't remember, might have been in the Atlantic, but I'm not sure, about 1968. And the argument was 1968 was worse than it is now, believe it or not. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether that's true because... Even though things were difficult, I didn't feel at the time, nor was there a general feeling of democracies at stake. You know, these people in political power these days seem to get by with everything. I mean, it's just absolutely astounding. So for me personally, maybe it's my age, maybe it's my experience of life. I don't know. Um, but today is much worse than 1968. Well, let's pause there, because all of us who grew up in America went to history classes, and we were told pretty categorically that 1968 was the worst year of, uh, of the 20th century. So, whew, dear, it's worse. Verification. We're all going to get through it together. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, buckle up. We're finishing up this phone call. But today is much worse than 1968. Wow. And you were there for both of them. Oh, that's, oh, that's heartbreaking. And now the golden age. Let's think positively. 72 years. You know, the golden age, yep. the golden age I think, I didn't start work until I was in my mid-30s. And so I got to stay home with my children. I have three children and I got to stay with, stay home with them. And I absolutely loved parenting. And I always said, not only do my love, do I love my kids? I genuinely like them. And um, so I think that the days when they were young, before I started working were sort of my golden age. But at the same time, I have, from the time I was a teenager, I sort of had this theory that everybody has a decade in which they shine, right? Yeah. So for the high school captain and the head of the cheerleading team, 
maybe their decade was in their teens. Yeah. I've always, I've always thought that my decade was going to be in my seventies. So here I am and life is pretty great. That's awesome. See, mine was definitely, yeah. I've been coming to grips with this. My thirties were amazing. My 30s, I crushed it, and now I'm 40. And I'm like, well, I guess I just now coast until death. I guess I just ride it out till <laughs> death now. Because my well, 30s life begins, at, life begins at 40, you know. Well, when my son was born, that's when I feel like life really began. That's, that was a game changer it's, for me. It, it's pretty wonderful, isn't it? These new lives and being able to shape them, and they shape you too. Yeah, and he makes me want to be a better guy because – He's just positive and innocent. He doesn't know why everybody has masks on. And he's just a good little dude. It makes me feel like I got to shape up on his behalf. Exactly. I worked as a child protection social worker for a while, which in truth was my calling. Um, but to be honest, it didn't pay enough to raise my children. And I ended up as a single parent. Um, so I had to leave that, and I actually got into the IT world, which was immediately um, paid more, more, more money. Um, so um, I can't. I lost my train of thought there. Well, that's okay. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I was so trained in assessing family dynamics, and you'd walk in cold to these families and sort of, you know, have to make a quick um, assessment of what was going on with them and read people and read the situation and and really depend on your perception a lot. So I like to think that I have a pretty good sense of who's a good parent. Yeah. Okay. impression of you that you're pretty wonderful. It's just through the podcast, you know, you're like, this guy's doing good. That's good to hear because I'm just winging it. Well, we all are, you know, you don't, you just, you don't know until you're right there. Yeah. I wish now, and I'm sure someone told me, but I wish now that I had realized at the time when you're so wrapped up in it, that really the majority of your life, even if you have children, is spent without children in the house. Yeah. And that's, that's a major, um, epiphany for me. I haven't thought about that. By the end of your life, yep. that stretch with your kids was just kind of a blip. Yep, exactly. Wow. I better and you're in the it. middle of it, and you're changing diapers, and you're feeding, and you're, you know, you have to teach them everything from, you know, the combination of red and blue, uh, as well as what a president is, and, you know, how grass grows, and it's amazing what kids soak up. Yeah. And what you have to be aware of. But it all goes too fast. But I must have done something right, Chris, because my kids are awesome. And I know I'm a parent, but they're kind, they're funny, they're aware, they're generous, they're creative. They're just what I hope they would be when they grew up. That's awesome. And how old were so you when you became a single mom? Um, let me see, maybe 32. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. And before that, I mean, I've always been a single parent, to be honest. 
and right. the biggest kid left, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have uh, absolutely no regrets whatsoever. That so, well, because th- then we're talking about 1980, if I'm doing my math right, and uh, right. I feel like it's hard. Well, my to be- last child. Was- Oh, go for it. My last child was born in 81. In 81. Got yeah. it. So, because I... My I've, oldest child is, is going to be 50 next year. And that's going to be very traumatic. 50? A 50-year-old child? That seems unimaginable to me. I know. Was one. That must be so trippy for you. It is very trippy. I feel like being a single mom is hard now, and there's a lot more social programs and social awareness. That must have been a battle back then. You know, it was, um, it was tough because now it's, you know, people do it more or less by choice. It's a, it's a choice in life and people aren't as judged as they were when I became a single parent. To be, to be honest, I read a lot of things. I read journals, I read articles. And when I got divorced, it was actually, the worst age for all of my children. Oh, really? But like, you're yeah. talking like medically and psychologically what the journal said? Exactly. <laughs> and I had my children, you know, five years apart each. So mm-hmm. the child that was 15 could go to a movie that the five-year-old couldn't or wasn't interested in and vice versa. So um, <laughs> it was all the wrong way to do it. I had, I don't know how many consecutive years of raising teenagers. Oh my God. So was your life just endlessly driving kids to different activities that they couldn't participate in together? It was. And when the last one got the driving license, I threw the keys at her and said, here, take the car. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I got to bring this one on its first date. And then this one's going to uh, soccer practice. This one's going to daycare. I'm trying to sleep for 20 minutes and then I got to go pick the first one up. And then this, uh, that sounds, and you're working and you're, and you're working in IT. And they went to three different schools. Oh, why? So Just because of the age? One of them, if, yeah, because of the age. If one of them missed the bus, oh my God, there was hell to pay for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's uh. But you know, I, I lived through it and I, did fine, and I'm doing fine now. I've been, in my opinion, pretty successful in life, and um, I've had my trials and troubles, maybe more than most, but I just haven't got very few complaints. Yeah, that's and amazing. I've I've, I've I've tried to live my life so that I don't have regrets. And one of the questions that I always asked myself when my children were little was, will this matter in five years? What will matter in five years? Is it this work meeting or is it my kids? Yes. And that was, I got to learn to be like you. That was pretty, pretty helpful. But you know, there, there are regrets that sneak up on you. And that's why this life review for me is so important. And what can I do from here on out to compensate for those feelings of regret that I have? Does that make sense? Without dwelling on them or, you know, making a big deal of them. I need to hear this because I'm 32 years younger than you and I already have regrets. And you're saying you're figuring out how to have fewer. I got to learn from you. 
because I got to correct these regrets and come to peace with them now so I can just hang out and be relaxed for what's... Yeah, it's important. So... You know, the, the, the thing that, um, I, you know, I look at people who are really, really unhappy and they have so many regrets. That was my first clue. Like, you know, people who maybe mistreated their spouse or something and, you know, was, was a terrible husband or wife. And so they lost that. And the regret that they live, to me, is so telling and so important that I learned at a pretty early age to try to not to live like that. And my parents, I have to say, were very good role models. Once I sorted out the difference between the behavioralistic characters of the church and them as people. So the church was, don't do this, don't do that, very judgmental. Um, and being a PK, my father was a minister, so being a PK was, you know, you we had to sit in the front row and behave. And I was the person that, when I was a child, I wiggled a lot in church, so I'd have to come home and practice sitting still. Wait, did you say PK? Never did uh, preacher's kid, yeah. That's what I was going to guess, preacher's kid. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, my parents were beautiful, beautiful people. They were like light bulbs. And we lived in New York City for a while, and they took in foster children. They would take in babies when they were five days old, raise them for two years, and then say goodbye to them and never to see or hear from them again because they got adopted. Wow. And Someone who lives like that and puts their beliefs where their lives are, that's the kind of role model that I have. And that's I have cool. to tell you, we had, we had mostly um, babies. Um, and sometimes the agency would call and say, can you take another baby? And my mother would say, we don't have a crib. And they'd say, put it in a dresser drawer. But we did have one little three-year-old girl they came to live with us and um, she lived with us for maybe eight years. And it's a very long story, but my family, my parents had to leave New York city. And so they begged to take her with, and the agency said no, which was when I was a child protection worker, the judges I worked with had the best interest of the child in mind. I think back in the sixties, that wasn't the case. Anyway, my point being, we lost touch with this little girl. And I actually, actually tracked her down a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago? A couple weeks ago. My siblings and I had, you know, we'd say, oh, she's 40 now, or she's 50 now, or we wonder what happened to her. And um, I would often do searches for her. I'm pretty good. I'm a, I call myself an internet sleuth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I could not find her, but I had another little piece of information where she had lived in this smaller town in New York. 
and somehow tracked her down. And so I called this number. I was going to call any number of numbers. So I called this number and um, it was answered by an answering machine. And I said, you know, my name is so-and-so. My maiden name was, and she picked up the phone and she said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And it was her. She is wow. now 62. Yeah. It was very cool. How's and she unfortunately, doing? you know, she's a strong, loving, caring person now. But when she left our family, she went through hell. It was very heartbreaking to hear. And, um, you know, those kinds of parents, her, her parents were, I think, behind the fact that the agency said, no, you cannot take her with you. And, you know, that's not love. So um, in spite of that, she said, the, she, and she was maybe with us for eight years, something like that, you know, the majority of her childhood. She said that that experience in our family had kind of grounded her. And she's got a couple of kids now, and uh, it was really, really great. My whole family was just thrilled. We did not realize how much we were grieving her, the loss of her. But she's fine. She's healthy. She's good. And uh, we know how to reach her. She knows how to reach us. Isn't that cool? That's one of the most striking things I've heard in a long time. There's all these loose ends in yeah. life and you get to tie them up and there's, you have the time and you just put in the effort to do it and connect with people. Yeah. And you know, I have to say that, um, um, she was, uh, she was someone that we all loved so much. I mean, I would not blame her at all for being just negative and, um, you know, feeling really abandoned by her, by her family. Um, but it was, it was very cool. That's and when so I was cool. a social worker, when I was a child protection social worker, one of my points of pride is that I saved any number of children from her fate. That's beautiful. That it does. Yeah. And you know what? We're out of time. I think that's a truly okay. beautiful note to end on. You gave back to the world. You had this experience and then you gave back to the world. That's so cool. You're cool. Well, you're, you're a cool ass Norwegian you. hippie to this day. <laughs> thank you for your time. And I will always listen to your podcast. It is so uplifting and um, it, it sometimes just leaves me in tears at the, at the beauty of people in spite of all that they go through. People are the best. And they really are. This is, I needed to have this conversation today. I thank you for it. I think you're rad. I think you're really rad. And thank you for calling. Thank you so much, Chris. Bye-bye. Caller, thank you so much for telling me all about your life. It was very cool to hear. Thank you to Topic. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you to Jordan Allen. Thank you to Shellshag. ChrisGeth.com if you want info on me. 
Tell everybody we're out here. Rate, review, subscribe. All those things really help. Thanks so much. Bye.